Some years ago, a college buddy and I got together. We decided we would go to the big game, that storied rivalry dating back to 1892 between the Stanford Cardinal and the Golden State Golden Bears of UC Berkeley. And so we went up to Stanford to go see it, and it was a late game, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, not a problem. If you've been up to Stanford, you know it has ample parking. Not normal parking, but ample parking. Because when you go up there, you're actually parking in a eucalyptus grove of some description. They are many and they are vast. And we managed to find one because we were getting up there a little bit later than we wanted to. Parked the car, got to the game, watched Cal get its annual drubbing, and just, you know, and went back. But by that time, it was dark, pretty dark. Zero lights in these eucalyptus groves. And it turned out that we didn't really remember where we had parked. And in the dark, one eucalyptus grove looks like another. And so we traipsed around looking for the car, went around, as it turned out, in circles, sure that it was in this next lot, only to discover that, in fact, it was not. Eventually, enough cars cleared out so that we could see ours in the great distance and made progress. Some 25 minutes later, we were in the car and on our way home. As I was explaining this sad tale, this lamentation to our daughter, she's like, Dad, why didn't you just drop a pin on your phone and just where you parked the car? Nice blue dot, tells you where it is. You can be wherever you want on the Stanford campus and still get back there. It's like, thank you for that. But inside, I'm saying, no, I didn't know you could actually do that. So I learned something, and I'm, I'm dropping pins all over the place now, uh, where necessary. But that pin drop idea is something that our text that he read in Hebrews uh, brings, to, brings to mind. Because Hebrews, as you guys know, if we're in this series, it really is a, a story of pilgrimage. It is about how we, as followers of Christ, make it to the heavenly country. Not on our own, not by ourselves, but only with the leading and instruction and grace of Jesus. And in this particular passage in, in chapter 4, you know you heard that the emphasis is on the Word of God and how that is instrumental and essential and vital if we're to do that. Because the reality is, just like me and my friend wandering through the, the vast trackland of, of eucalyptus groves at Stanford, we can get off track. We sometimes find or discover that we're lost. We don't know we're lost until we're actually trying to get back to that sense of connection with the Lord, that sense of fellowship, that sense of, am I really heading in the right direction? Now, I hope you find this timely. It's certainly been timely in my life of late. Uh, just, a, well, probably a couple weeks ago now, a fr pastor friend of mine had to say to his church that one of the elders in his church has resigned his eldership because he no longer believes in the Christ that he first connected his life to. And it wasn't something that was out of the blue. He raised that with his uh, elder team some even a year, I think, before. They wrestled with it. They prayed with him. They talked. He, so it wasn't hasty, but it wasn't 
he didn't make any progress to get back to that place of pilgrimage where he could walk with the Lord. And so it just became an inevitable consequence, a logical conclusion, a logical fallout from that. That's, you know, we, we know that people do struggle. We all struggle in some ways with understanding who are you, Jesus? I want to know more of you. Are you going to be faithful in this situation? Are you going to come through in that circumstance? How do I even understand who you are in the midst of this difficulty that I've never experienced? Not, not to this extent, not to this level. And so, I, I, you know, God's timing is always perfect. And my prayer is that this word from Hebrews 4 really reaches us in that place that finds us somewhere in a eucalyptus grove and not necessarily fully on the, the path, that pilgrimage, that trail of pilgrimage that he calls us to. Now, the background of this, just briefly, is that it references Joshua. The, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you Christians, you, particularly you Jewish Christians, your, your life is similar in, in a sense the precursor to what you're experiencing now goes back to the Israelites being led out into the desert, being freed from slavery, Egyptian captivity, but they were not at the promised land. They had to travel this road that they could, you know, it was a desert basically. They could only go through the desert with the help, utterly dependent, with the help of God and utterly dependent on him. And you know your Old Testament, you know that there were numerous places along the way where they were grumbling, where they were rebelling, where they decided that God was just leading them out to kill them, or that Moses didn't care about them, or some other diss towards God or his servants, culminating in the great debacle of scouting the land and and deciding they couldn't do it, even though God said you could do it, because I'll go before you. The particular reference in in chapter 3, which we didn't obviously read, and leading into this text is about them rebelling at the waters of Meribah, where they're thirsty, a legitimate need. Like, we're here, my family's, we're in the middle of this desert, that's not good, we have no water, that's even worse, and now I've got me and my kids, and how is God going to come through? And so they grumble, and Moses, of course, supposed to speak to the rock, he strikes the rock, there's actually two, versions, two stories of this in their wanderings. But it, it goes down as a place of being uh, of grumbling and rebellious and testing God. The writer of Hebrews is telling his readers that. So they, they do not test God through unbelief. And you're thinking, and then he says in the conclusion, verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. He calls it the Sabbath rest, but it basically means getting to the place that God wants us to be, that place where we'll finally be with him in the new Jerusalem. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of their disobedience. And you might think, yeah, I, I want to be like that. I, what, what do I need to do? I, I, do I need to pray more? Do I need to uh, confess more? What, 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 is it, what is necessary for me to enter that rest? And this is where our text takes a slightly unexpected turn. You might think, well, I need to read my scriptures more. Like, that would be good. You're, you're getting warmer. Because the text says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything 
is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So it, it draws our attention to the word of God in a very sobering way. Like we're going to, the word of God is alive and active. And the word of God, it's, you know, some of you, probably many of you had to memorize that when you were younger about, you know, what is the value of the word of God and what is the word of God life? Well, it's, you know, it's alive and active. It, it means more than scripture. The word of God, of course, according to James, is, is Jesus. He is the word of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The logos. This is who we're talking about. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. In the beginning, the word, you know, not in the beginning, for the word of God is alive and active. Jesus is alive and active. And his, who he is through the written word, I don't want to lose track of the written word, but that's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating in our innermost place, the places that we think are hidden from God or we hope are hidden from God, the secret place, like Achan who buried his treasure under his tent, like they'll never find it here. All my sin, all my greed, it's like, I got this. But obviously God knew where that was. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. So this word of God that we're, our attention is being drawn to is an encounter with the living Christ. And the purpose is that we would allow God to examine our lives, examine our hearts, show us places that need to be brought more into his, into alignment with who he is and what he wants for us. Get us out of the eucalyptus grove and back onto the path in whatever way that makes sense or further down the path. It's not an easy thing, is it? I don't know about you, when I think of going to scripture, oftentimes I'm perhaps more aware of, of picking it up for encouragement. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 91 that was read just earlier in our psalm. That's a really encouraging psalm. Doesn't matter what pestilence is around me. Lord, you're with me. No weapon formed against you will prosper. We all have a host of encouraging verses that we know of. And it is good and helpful to read the word of God for encouragement. But it's more than that. Sometimes we read it for wisdom. What's the wise next step, Lord, that I need to do in this situation? And we study the scripture and he will often use a particular verse to help us with that. And so we read it for encouragement, we read it for wisdom. But how often do we really read it for, Lord, search my heart. See what needs to be revealed in me that is not pleasing to you. This passage doesn't let us go. It doesn't let us just skip past it. Because God knows that there's some things, the things that trip us up, the things that get us off the road, oftentimes are long-standing deeply rooted, continue to be challenging. A long time ago, some well-meaning friends gave me a yucca plant. It was in a pot. I'm like, okay, thank you. Uh, eventually, Vicki and I decided to plant it in our garden. And a yucca plant, if you know it, it's a, it likes the desert more than most things. It's got broad, pointy leaves that are hard and... Uh, because it's in desert regions, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. It's hard to eradicate. All of this we didn't know at the time because it was only small. But as it grew up, 
And we, we said, well, we got to cut this back. So we'd try to cut it back, but the leaves would sprout again. And like, oh, man, this is a lot of work. So we just kind of let it be off in the corner. We'd planted it near a fence. It was kind of in the back alley part of our house. Like, we'll leave it there. And then we tended to the rest of the garden. We kept the lawn mowed. We trimmed the other hedges. We, you know, trimmed the trees, made sure the fruit was picked up. Just kind of basic garden maintenance. But we didn't pay any attention to the yucca plant. That was too tough. And then we thought, you know what, this is getting out of hand. It's, it grew up to a place where it was, it was beating up our fence. It was a good neighbor fence. We weren't really good neighbors uh, as we let that continue to go. It was overshadowing them. It was blocking our pathway. So finally we said, we're going to do something. So we started to pull at it and try to get, it, get rid of it. Any of you know your plants? Know that that was a fool's errand. Nothing happened. We called the gardener. He brought in two young guys to go work that thing. They dug a nice ditch, tried to free it up, nothing. So now we have a plant that's still in the ground with now a moat around it. That's not good. Eventually, a little bobcat tractor had to be used to get rid of this thing. It's like, this is crazy. The roots were deep. The thing was stubborn. That's sin in some places in our life. Not sin that God hasn't forgiven, but sin that he wants to say, we still need to deal with this. There's still things that, or, or let's take another step in dealing with it. Don't, don't hear huge condemnation. Most of the things that we're aware of, we've been working on for some time. But just know that the word of God, there's times where he is saying, let's take another step in that way. And so lest we kind of come away, it, it, it's meant, this, this part of the Hebrews is meant to, as I said, be sobering. Um, it's meant to say, because it, eventually we will have to give an account to him. But then the next part, you know, Jesus is, is he may be the landscape architect that says, hey, this, this yucca plant is crazy here. You got to get rid of this. But then he's also the gardener that helps you get rid of it. The next verses say, therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's like, who's like us, tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. So the Lord himself goes, goes with us. The Lord himself knows exactly what we're experiencing. He's not just looking down from on high with any condemnation. He knows, as the scripture says, that we have these weaknesses. And he... And it's why, just as with the Israelites, God was absolutely necessary, so too in our own journey, the love and grace of Christ is absolutely necessary. So don't hear condemnation, but hear a loving invitation to say, you're just in a place in some parts of your life where let's do some more work because it's not good for you. It's not good for the people around you. Let's, let's keep working on that garden. He knows that we are weak. I was th thinking about uh, the importance of this, not only just because of recent events which I'd shared, but I was reflecting on this. I saw somebody had mentioned a particular part of the screw tape letters, which for those of you that are familiar, Uncle Screwtape and his nephew Wormwood, one devil teaching a junior devil kind of the arts of keeping new believers away from full life in Christ. And so he says... 
Screw tape says, Uncle Screw tape says, you will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, meaning God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. We have a clever enemy who wants to use our humanness, our fallenness, kind of conspire to use it against us. And we too often are conspiring, co-conspirators in that. And Jesus wants to free us from that. And so he goes before us as a good high priest. The high priest is the advocate standing between us and God. And high priests and, and, and priests in Bible times not only did that through the sacrifice, but they also did that through instruction. And Jesus does both of those for us. When we pick up the word of God, sometimes we pick it up for answers. Like, Lord, show me what I'm supposed to do here. Or why did this happen in my life? Show me why that is. But Jesus doesn't, or the scriptures do not always give answers that we want. Think of Job. What answers did he get to a very legitimate series of questions that he was asking as a result of a sudden catastrophe in his life that just increased over time? Ultimately, the answer or the realization that he received is that God is God and his thoughts are not Job's thoughts. Job's thoughts, he cannot possibly understand what God is doing in his life. We want answers sometimes. We go to scripture for them. But what God really gives us is his presence. And he gives us his perspective. When we look at scriptures, we encounter the risen Lord. The one who is with us, who is for us, who has gone before us, and will never leave us alone. Who's always gentle. He's truthful, but he's gentle. He's direct, but he's patient. And that should encourage, it encourages me a lot. And I pray that it encourages us. And it gives us perspective. Job got perspective. He didn't get answers to the questions that he was asking. But he knew the perspective that God had something. He just couldn't understand what God was doing. Each of us will get to a place as we, as we faithfully follow the Lord on this pilgrimage to when we're before the Lord, we will, the mysteries that we have now about what's going on and why things are happening will be cleared up. That God will in some way, shape, or form, or we won't care. We'll just say, it, thank you for getting me here. I think that's more the spirit of Job. And so when we come before the word of God, we get his presence, the presence of Christ. We get the perspective of our heavenly father. And so the passage closes with this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. With confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Receiving mercy is to get the very thing that we need to be connected with the love of God. And that we cannot provide ourselves. If we could, it wouldn't be from God and it wouldn't be merciful. We are utterly dependent on his mercy to experience his forgiveness, to be able to say, Lord, I'm so far in this eucalyptus grove, but I know you are calling me back and thank you, I am coming forward. I'm ashamed that I'm so far away, but I'm, I'm coming forward. 
and we will receive his mercy. You will see the, the, heavenly, the, the father of the prodigal looking out, smiling, like there he is, there she is on the horizon. Time to kill the fatted calf. That's mercy. And then to find grace. It's an all-encompassing term for the things that we need to persevere in this pilgrimage. Whatever that wisdom, whatever that strength, whatever that um, ability, if you want to think of it that way, to connect with God, that is grace. His grace allows us to return, return to the place where Jesus dropped the pin on the road when we started wandering off. Now, the word of God that our text points us to today is truly living and active. And we should give an abundance of thanks that it is. For without it, we would really not know how to get to the heavenly country that awaits us. So let's go forward in faith, not doubting, not being fearful, but being thankful that, Lord, you go before me. You are my high priest. You lead me into the presence of God. And it's only through your grace and mercy that I'm able to do that. But that's why I am so glad that I am with you. May the Lord meet each of us in this week ahead in that place that we've just it's just the yucca plant, if you will, of our life that just needs to be brought to him, small or great. Know that he, his word will help us take it out. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.